about those hogs, baby? Let's stand and worship together. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praise to your name, Most High, to declare your faithful love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. Let's sing together. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of Welcome, Fellowship College. Guys, how about the hogs? Are we excited? Yeah. 
didn't even I didn't even go here and my heart was pounding. You got to get up for the worship team too because they had a whole worship set prepared if the hogs lost. It was going to be a bunch of sad songs and now it's joyful joyful we get to start which is amazing. Hey y'all can go ahead and have a seat for a few minutes. We're excited. Anyone enter our fellowship college March Madness bracket just by a show of hands. There was 25 of you in here, so that's good. I don't want to embarrass anyone, but is there an ESPN 433-77182 here? Anybody? I'm just kidding. Uh, You're in first place. You're in the 95th percentile. There could be a $100 gift card coming your way. I'm currently in dead last place, but I did pick the Bears to win, Baylor Bears, so I'm feeling Pretty good. Garland picked Illinois to win, so he is done. Anyway, we got a couple things coming up that y'all should know about. First up, if you have not heard of this, you need to know about it. It is called the 412 Institute. We put it on every summer, and it's for incoming freshmen to current juniors. So incoming freshmen to current juniors, we're going to have an eight-week study through the book of Acts. It's such a great time. We're gonna learn about the early church, what it looked like, and then we're even gonna get to practice it and uh, be a part of that together. You do not wanna miss it. We do have a cap for this. And so if you already know your summer plans and you're gonna be here because of an internship or you live here or whatever the reason may be, please, please sign up and do it soon because you do not want to miss out on that. For those of you that are current seniors that are now kind of bummed that you don't get to be a part of this, we do have something for you as well. We are starting a young adults worship night. So that's for current seniors all the way through your 20s. We're gonna have a time where you can gather together, fellowship, worship, and get to meet people in your same season of life. And so that's gonna be on April 20th at 7 p.m. here at the church. I hear there might even be some Burton's ice cream involved, maybe, okay, okay. Uh, We also have world, oh sorry, uh, if gathering, we're having if gathering, so for those of you ladies in the room, if you have not heard about if gathering, it is where they gather the best speakers, and I mean this, the best speakers all across the country. And they come and they uh, teach the Bible, talk about current issues going on, and it's incredible. I actually have already got to listen to a few of the talks from this year's If Gathering, and it's powerful, and you wanna be a part of it. And so we're gonna have signups right here for If Gathering. If you wanna know more about it, this is for ladies only, sorry guys, but if you wanna know more about it, just hang around after, maybe come up to the front, and Elise and Jolly would love to just kind of tell you more about it. It's gonna be a great time. And last, but certainly not least, we have World Culture Weekend coming up very soon, this week actually, March 25th to 28th. You can sign up using this QR code. Uh, It's gonna be a great time. Let me go ahead and pray for us and then we'll continue to worship and celebrate together. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. Thanks that you have given us joy, that you have given us abundant life, that in you there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. 
So I pray tonight as we sing and as we hear from your word that we would believe that, that we would treasure that in our hearts and that we would truly, authentically worship you alone. So we love you, we need you, and we pray this all in the name of Jesus, amen. Um, I wanted, before, before we continue on with worship, I wanted to teach you guys something that, or, or tell you a story that, um, that really spoke to my heart, something that I've been reading. And so uh, in January, I decided I wanna read through the Old Testament this year. So I just finished up the Torah recently, big accomplishment. If you've read through the Torah, which are the, this is the first five books of the Bible, you know that sometimes it gets a little repetitive and um, there's lots of laws and um, lots of just customs and whatnot. I'm the only person I know that really loves it is Garland. And so, but it, it's, it's good and you, and you should read it, absolutely. In the midst of all, all of these, uh, these laws and practices, um, I was in Numbers 11 and I, I read this story um, that I guess I just missed reading in the past or um, just didn't hear it growing up. And so it really caught me and I wanted to, to tell it to you guys. So, so Numbers 11, so we've got um, the Israelites have come out of Egypt. Moses has led the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, and they're, they're in the wilderness. They've been wondering and they've seen all these miracles of the Lord and they've seen his faithfulness displayed time and time again. And they're in the midst of the wilderness here and they don't have a lot to eat but God is providing them with manna every day. Uh, and that's kind of where we, we pick up in Numbers 11. And, and these people, these Israelites, are just groaning. And they're going to Moses, and they're like, man, we, like, we, we're so tired of eating this manna. Like when we were in Egypt, we got all these fruits, and we got fish and vegetables and all this different stuff, and garlic, and it was just so good. And it sucks now that uh, all we get to eat is this manna. And so will you, will you please go to God and say, like, we want more, we want meat, we want, we want something more than this manna. And so Moses, who has been wrestling with these people of Israel for so long and trying to teach them about the goodness of Yahweh and um, the power and might of Yahweh, Yahweh he, he goes before God and he's just essentially like, God, why, are you, why am I leading these people? Did I give birth to these people? Why are they my responsibility? This sucks, essentially. I'm so tired of leading these people. All they do is groan, and it's just never enough for them. And it reminded me of like this idea of someone going, going, like asking for more. Like I, I hate this idea of going to someone in authority and just asking for more stuff. I experience this every single time I go through the drive-through. My wife, who is the condiment queen, is like, "Can we get this sauce and this sauce and this sauce?" It's like, gosh. I hate it, so, but that's what it reminds me of. It's like you're having to go go to someone, and you're just like, "Oh, I'm gonna ask for this. I feel uncomfortable asking for it." And Moses is just tired and is just fed up with these people. And so he said, "God, just just kill me. I'm so tired of this. Like, if this is what you have for me, then just kill me." And God said, "No, I'm not gonna kill you. Um, I'm gonna give the people what they want." And so he sends this flock of quail in. And just so, so, so many quail. And they, they have all the quail. He said, I'm gonna feed them for a month with all this quail. I'll just, I'll just keep sending it in. So they get all, all these quail come in. They kill these quail. And, and now they have meat. They finally have meat. And they start to eat this quail. And they all get food poisoning. And it, 
I laughed when I, when I read that. And it reminded me of like this, this whole idea of like God is sustaining these people and he's providing for them. He is faithful and yet they're just looking past it. And they're like, yeah, but I want that. I want that. They don't recognize that God, God is fully in control. He's giving them exactly what they need. And so often I experience the same thing that God is providing, and I'm like, yeah, but it'd be so much better if, if I had this, or if, if, I was, if I was in this relationship with this person, man, that'd be good, I'd be happy then. But God is providing you exactly with what you need. He is displaying his faithfulness right now in this moment and giving you exactly what you need. And so as we sing this next song, let's remember that, that God's faithful, that God is sustaining us, and that we can rest in his goodness and in that faithfulness. Let's stand and let's sing together.
reading from the Gospel of Luke. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exhausted. That's all. Amen. You guys can have a seat. How are we? Should be good right now. But I'm tired. After watching that game, I am tired right now because I was like, my adrenaline was in that game, and so... I had to like calm down before uh, we came in here, and now we get to finish our parables series. This is the last of uh, the parables that we're going to study. I'm Garland. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't met you. I'd love to meet you uh, before the night is over. Um, it's going to be a little bit different tonight. So here's what tonight's going to look like. Uh, we're going to be off after this night for two weeks. And so next week is y'all's weird spring break for those of you in college. And then the following week, you're also off like Monday and Tuesday, the, week, the days after that because of Easter. And so y'all have, the U of A's got a weird schedule and then it's Easter and spring break. So the next two weeks, we will be not meeting on the Sunday night service and we encourage you to come and worship uh, on one of our Sunday morning services. You're home for Easter, go with mama, go with family and, and partake there. But uh, so two weeks will be off. Tonight is also gonna be a little bit different and here's how. Uh, I'm not gonna... I'm not gonna teach the parable like in a 35 minutes kind of a teaching. Some of you were like, thank the Lord. that no, he's not gonna talk for 30 minutes. What we're gonna do is uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna try to experience the parable. It's not, it's, not that, uh, it's not a difficult parable. What we wanna do is we're gonna try to experience the parable in the way that we, uh, in the way that we worship through it and think through it by by singing and praying and posturing uh, our bodies. So uh, we're gonna look at the parable, then we're gonna pray and process and posture our bodies. Then we're gonna read a, look a little, little bit more at the parable, then we're gonna pray and process, then uh, we're gonna look a little more at the parable and pray and process. We'll have song kind of woven through that. Just a warning, if you are not, this is different than what we normally do, and if you are not a follower of Jesus in the room, if you're like, I don't, I don't know what you just said, I just came because somebody invited me, or I think, I think this person's cool and I'm coming to see if I can see with them tonight, like, that's fine. And if you are not a follower of Jesus, then uh, when we start to, when we posture our body later, like we're gonna be kneeling, just feel free just to, don't do it. And you can just look at us and think that we're weird. Just, that's fine, you can do that. If you wanna fake it, do that too. Uh, we won't judge you, don't judge us, uh, no big deal. Um, but that's something that we as followers of Jesus are gonna do tonight, you know, sort of posturing our body uh, as we sing and as we worship. That's where we're gonna go tonight. Uh, we've been in this parable series since January. Uh, has, has it been a, a helpful, instructive series for you? Are you like, okay, okay, thank you, wow. So you really like the parables, we're able to keep doing them. Uh, when we come back after these next two weeks off, we're gonna look at the book of Esther, uh, the Old Testament book, and so we're finishing up the parable series tonight, and we've told you as we've gone along, and this is just really good Bible study for any of you in the room when you study your Bible, especially the New Testament, but especially 
the parables, here's just something to remember. Don't begin, and we all have a habit of doing this, those of you that follow Jesus in the room. We often begin by saying, well, what does this mean for me? Or what's it telling me to do? Or how can this make me a better Christian, boy or girl, or man or woman? And that's, that's a, sometimes that could be an off place to start. Here's where you start, especially in the parables. What does this say about Jesus as king and Jesus in his kingdom? And, and then maybe by implication, it will have some impact or import for you. But that's really helpful when you study the Bible to start. What does it say about Jesus? Let me get in the, the, the skin of the person hearing this from Jesus and not immediately jump to my life in the 21st century, all right? Uh, what we're gonna do tonight is we're gonna finish this, uh, on this parable in Luke chapter 18. I'm calling this approaching the throne, and we're gonna fly quickly. So uh, hang in there with me. Open your Bibles if you got them, or your phone. Go to the Bible app, or if you go to Google, pull up with me if you wouldn't mind. Luke chapter 18. Let's get moving. We're gonna work through this quickly so we can get back to singing. So uh, Luke chapter 18, we're gonna pick it up in verse nine. When you read a parable, it can be also really helpful to always go and look at the context. What's, what, what was said before the parable? What was said after the parable? And sometimes it's more than just a verse. You might have to go back and read uh, a whole chapter or multiple paragraphs to get the sense of what's going on. This one's really easy. In this parable, we have Luke, the gospel writer, telling us why Jesus gave this parable. So this one's really easy. Look at verse nine. To some who were confident in their own righteousness, underline that, to some who were confident in their own righteousness, put a number one by that, that by that, by that clause in the sentence. And number two, put a number number two here. And they looked down on everyone else. This 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 translation that's, that's coming across for us here, when you see this, this verb confident, it's a perfect tense verb which carries with it the idea of a settled state of things to people that have the state in their heart, in their mind, I'm right, I'm righteous. And this word righteousness, let's unpack that just for a moment. This word righteousness that we see here in this verse, uh, it's a Christian-y sounding word. Like we hear that word and it sounds like a church word. And here's what it means. It means to be in the right, to be seen in the right before God and before people. And so if somebody is accused of something and they're vindicated, they didn't actually do that, then they're declared righteous. They're in the right. That's what righteousness means. So to some who have a settled state that they're confident, they're on the good side, God likes me, I'm in good, Jesus told this parable. And he loves to do this. There's a crowd around him. And to some who are confident in their own righteousness, he begins to tell a story. This is exactly how parables work. He says, I got a story. Imagine with me, we got two guys, two dudes, and they're going up to the temple to pray. Now, we blow right by that when we read that because for us, going up to the temple doesn't seem like all that big of a deal. We're not people that lived in Israel in the first century. So it got me thinking, what are places or what are circumstances in our life when we, we totally change our behavior, we totally change our protocol based on where we go? Like if you think about it, the way that you walk into like a coffee shop to just hang out with some friends would be completely different than how you would walk into like St. Peter's Basilica or one of these really old, incredible churches that you walk in. It just, you walk in and you feel, I'm supposed to be quiet. 
And I'm not supposed to be loud. I'm not supposed to be like high-fiving and running down this thing. I'm supposed to kind of quiet down. How many of you been, has anybody in the room been to St. Peter's Basilica? Anybody in the room? It's a couple of you. If you get a chance, I got to go two years ago. It's amazing. And it, it absolutely just takes your breath away when you walk in there. You can't fathom how, no, no picture does justice just to how big and impressive this building is. And you walk in there and it kind of overwhelms you to the point where you, 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 even me, I get quiet. And I'm like, this is just amazing. When you walk into a, a, a Slim Chickens on a date, it's different than when you walk into a, a restaurant with a really nice white tablecloth. It's a totally different vibe when you walk in there. When you meet somebody that has got status, when you meet somebody of royalty, just putting the queen up there and you're like, she's funny, isn't she? Just putting the queen up there and you're all laughing. When you, if you were to go and meet the queen of England or if you were to go and meet our president, if you were invited to the Oval Office, you would have a set of protocols, a set of behaviors that you would have to adopt. You wouldn't go in there like you would when you go home next week to go see some buddies that you've known from high school. Like it would, you would approach that differently. The, the closest thing I could think of is if I were to meet like somebody really famous that I really respected, LeBron, second greatest of all time, behind Jordan. Uh, so if I were to meet somebody really, really famous that I really respected, then I'm sure when I met them, I would have a sense of like, almost like awe about them. Like, this is LeBron. Like, he's the best player in the world. And I wouldn't go up to him and just treat him like he's one of my, my friends that I've known forever. We, I think we understand this concept. And what we're seeing here is Jesus says, I got a story for you. Two guys, they're walking up to the temple. Now, the temple in ancient Israel, it's the center, it's the heart of Jewish worship. It's the place where heaven and earth come together. It's the symbol of God's presence with his people. And when you approach the temple, you don't do so willy-nilly. You don't do so just flippantly. You would approach the temple with certain rituals and certain sacrifices. In fact, certain people weren't allowed to go past certain barriers. It was that special of a place. And Jesus says, imagine the story. I've got, it's a made-up story. Two guys are walking up to the temple. And now he gives us the two characters. Here they are. The first, he says, he's a Pharisee. And the second is a tax collector. Now, just time out. I think for us, when we see this, for if you've grown up in church, if you read your Bible before, you see Pharisee, and you think, oh, yeah, 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 those are the bad guys. Yeah, Pharisee, bad guy, two guys walk up. The Pharisees, he's the one everybody hates. He's the one that Jesus hates. Boo for the Pharisee. And then the tax collector, these are the guys that Jesus likes. Yay. But the problem is, everybody hearing Jesus tell this story, everybody hearing this would have the exact opposite reaction to how we tend to react because we think the Pharisees are the worst. Okay, we've been, we've been trained to think that way. What were the Pharisees? The Pharisees, they weren't religious teetotalers that were trying to just get everybody in trouble, all right? That wasn't what they were doing. That wasn't why, they were, that why Jesus was mad at them. The Pharisees believed that if they could obey the law, the law of God, and if they could get the rest of the people to obey, then God would bless Israel again, and they'd have their kingdom back. If you, had a, if you were a father and you had daughters, you would want your daughter to marry these guys. These were the, the guys that were really passionate about being good and obeying the law, and they wanted their country and the people in their country to obey the law. They were seen as the good guys. They were seen as the heroes. If anybody should be able to walk right up into the temple, it'd be the Pharisee, who were the tax collectors. The tax collectors were people 
who had sold out their brothers and sisters, their fellow countrymen, so that they could make a buck by skimming off the top of the taxes to then give to the, the empire called Rome that everybody in Israel hated. Tax collectors were seen as liars and cheats and traitors. So if you're listening to this story that Jesus is telling, you would be going, and you're in Jesus' day, you're going, boy, the Pharisee, I bet I know where this is going. That Pharisee's gonna be awesome and that tax collector, get him out of there. I bet that's where Jesus is going with this parable, but it's not. Look at what Jesus does. He puts words in the mouth of both of them. Here's what the Pharisee says. He stood by himself and he prayed. And he prays out loud in Jesus' story. He prayed so loud that people can hear what he's saying. God, I thank you. That's not a, that's not a bad way to start. You know, it's not a bad start of a prayer. I thank you, God. I'm trying to, when I was working on this, I, start, I tried to imagine somebody praying this in our room like this. We would all hate that guy. Like, we hate this guy. God, I thank you that I'm not like all these losers. Look at all these idiots around me, God. I'm not like any of them. I'm so much better than these robbers and these adulterers and these evildoers. How would you like this if it happened in this room? Or that guy, this tax collector, Steve, he's the worst. And we all know he's the worst. God, thank you you didn't make me like Steve. I mean, imagine the scene. It's ridiculous. And Jesus is putting these words on the Pharisee. Now, I want you to notice, notice the verbs that the Pharisee uses. Notice the verbs. He says, I am not. So I want you to, I want you to mark the verbs in your Bible if, you're, if you take notes in your Bible. And then he says, I tithe and I give. His verbs are active. They're in the active tense. I do this. God, look, I do it. If you take notes in your Bible, circle for me how many times he uses the first per person pronoun I. Just circle them. In just two verses, he's approaching the temple. God, I, 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 I. In just two verses, man, he can throw I in there quite a bit. And this is gonna give us, we're gonna see two marks of what I think this parable is after, two marks of self-righteousness in this parable. The first one is this. Self-righteousness is always inwardly focused. It's always looking inside and saying, look how well I'm doing, looking at what, what I do, what I do with my hands, what I do with my life, and saying, look how good I'm performing, look how well I'm doing, look how much I'm doing. Self-righteousness is always obsessed with the I, me. It's always looking inward. Now, I, I see this, and I'm gonna hammer away at this for a minute. I'm gonna use this quote to do it. I see this in churches in the South, in people in church in the South, I see it in my own life, like crazy. This has defined so much of my spiritual life, and it sucked the joy right out of me. And I see it in a lot of people in our church, and it's sucking the joy right out of you. Listen to what, uh, this, one of the, what this pastor says. If you can key into this, you might see that what you're struggling with is self-righteousness, and it's not working. Let's take a look at it. He says, many draw their assurance or their acceptance. What does that mean? God likes me. Man, how do I know that I'm on the good side here? How do I know that God is happy with me? My assurance, my acceptance, where does it come from? Look at what he says. Many do this. In fact, I bet many in this room, for a lot of my life, this is what I did. 
How do I know God likes me? Well, look at what I've been doing lately. Look at my life. I'm sincere. I mean, I feel it when I worship. I feel it when I try to share the gospel. I mean, I'm sincere. They, they build their assurance or their acceptance based on their past experience of conversion. See that? Tons in the South. Well, yeah, my granddad was a pastor, and I prayed the prayer at, Can- at Canacuck when I was 12, and I'm, I'm good. I know God likes me because I prayed that prayer. I had this past experience of conversion. This one I see so much. Their recent religious performance or the relative infrequency of their conscious, willful disobedience. Here's what that, in my life, and this is where it just robbed me of joy. I can tell you how this looked for me. I'll give you my list. I am reading my Bible, check. I'm praying, good. Man, I'm even trying to like share the gospel with people, awesome. I'm going to church, look, I've got all these things in the positive camp. And man, recently, I haven't looked at porn in a while. And man, I've, I've been doing good in the relationships that I'm in physically. We're not going too far. And I'm not drinking too much. God likes me. And I see so much of how we build our acceptance and our assurance by looking inward. I, I, I. And here's the worst part. It's a two-sided coin, this self-righteousness. Because for many of us, when, we're, when things are going well, we're looking inward, we go, see, I'm doing well. And it's so subtle. And the opposite can also be true. We can also look inward, I, I, I. And this, by the way, this is just as self-righteous. And look inward and go, I've been failing lately. Man, I, I, I blew it last weekend. Like I, I drank way too much and I, people saw or I looked at porn, or we went too far physically, or I haven't been reading my Bible, I haven't been doing the things I'm supposed to do, I haven't been to church in a while. Can you, do you notice? Both of those are equally as focused internally. Both of those are equally as damaging. Both of those are equally as self-righteous. Here's the worst part. I'll, get, I'll, I'll be confessional for me here. For so much of my spiritual life, he's, I'm a follower of Jesus. But for so much of my spiritual life, you know what I did? I just bounced back and forth based on how I was doing that week. And it was exhausting. And it wore me out. And there was so much anxiety about it and like fear and sadness. And when I was on this side, I'd go before God in like this trembling fear. And when I was on this side, I would be like, yeah, I'm doing pretty good, aren't I? Here's the second mark of self-righteousness we see in the passage. Look at what this dude says. I'm not like any of you. I'm better. The second mark of self-righteousness is you will always be comparing. Always. You're always comparing how you're doing spiritually, how you're doing emotionally, how you're doing relationally. You're always comparing. And man, it robs you of joy. If you're doing well, there's always somebody doing better. If you're doing really bad, how come I can't be like them and it, it causes us to run into anxiety and to run and to hide and to not let people in and to not confess our sin. It causes us to come before others and before God with this deep sense of fear and worry. Loveless continues. He says, many draw their assurance and acceptance from all these things. And he says, their insecurity shows itself in pride, a fierce defensive assertion of my own righteousness and a defensive criticism of others. Here's how you can tell this, Mark. Do you find yourself really easily judgmental about people? 
How come they can't stop doing whatever that thing is they're doing? How come they always do blank? And the worst part is, when you struggle, you go, I never measure up. I'm never going to get there. I always do this. I always find myself here. And Jesus is attacking this kind of self-righteousness. There's two marks of self-righteousness. And here they are. You're always looking inward. You're always comparing. Here's what we're going to do. I told you, we're going to look at the parable. This was the longest section, so we had to set it up. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to kind of take this posture. You're sitting in your chair, and you can stand or stay seated. I'm going to ask you to just put your hands out in front of you. In a minute, I'll have you do it. And I want you, on the one hand, to imagine all of the ways that you try to put your confidence in your performance. I want you to just imagine those things. Yeah, I do that. God, I do try to build myself up all the way that I've been doing. Here's all the good I've been doing lately, and hold it out there. And on the other side, the ways that you feel yourself flooding your heart and your mind with anxiety and shame because I never measure up, that self-pity. All those lies you tell yourself, all that, all that comparing that you tell yourself, I want you to picture that over here. Burton's gonna sing, and if you know the words, then sing it. But if you don't, I just invite you just to process for a few minutes, am I self-righteous? Am I always looking inward for my assurance and my performance? Am I always comparing? Just hold that out before the Lord. We'll come back up in a minute, and we're going we're gonna to look through the parable as, as, as well. We'll keep going on that. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Close your eyes and bow your head. And like I said, if you're not a follower of Jesus, don't worry about it. You can just look at us. Put your hands out, and I just want you to, to picture and ask that question. Where am I like this Pharisee? Jesus, we ask right now you would help us to be honest, and you'd help us to look deep inside of us. You're going to have some very strong things to say about this Pharisee and self-righteousness in this parable. But before we move any further, we want to pause right here. And with open hands, we just want to look at our lives and look at our heart and look at our motives and offer that to you. We posture ourselves like this even right now. We ask this, that you give us honesty. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's pray together. Take these hands, lift them up, for I have not the strength to praise you near enough. See, I have nothing, I have nothing without Take my voice and pour it out. Let it sing the songs of mercy I have found. For I have nothing, I have nothing without you. And
take my body and build it up. May it be broken as an offering of love. For I have nothing. Why? collector now um, as we continue looking at this parable I find it fascinating that Jesus has two characters he's made up a story and he's now going to give us insight into what the other character says and he's going to commend the tax collector look what the tax collector says remember the Pharisee I'm not like any of them I'm not like Steve this is awesome I'm amazing and the tax collector he won't even approach he stands back at a distance, and he wouldn't even look up to heaven. His head is down, and, he, and to, beat, to beat the breast is a way of, of confessing and repenting and saying, I am nothing, I bring nothing, I am broken. And look at what he says. God, I, I, love, I love his prayer. Remember, the Pharisee, is, he's saying, I do, I do, I do. All he says about himself, the tax collector, is, I'm a sinner. I'm broken. So what's his response? God, be merciful to me. Have mercy on me. Because I got nothing. If you don't have mercy on me, then I have nothing. It's an amazing, amazing prayer that this tax collector prays in Jesus' story. And look at what Jesus says. He says, I tell you, that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Which one? The word justified here is the same root in Greek as righteousness. It means to be in the right. This man went home in the right. This is the one that God says, that's my man, that one. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Here's what we're gonna do. Uh, we're now gonna, we're gonna take the posture of this tax collector. And it's gonna be really simple. I'm gonna, I'm gonna invite you, if you're a follower of Jesus, to just get down on your knees and we're gonna do what he does. He just falls on his knees and he says, I am broken. I'm a sinner. And here's what I want you to do when we, when, we, when we posture ourselves in a minute. All of the brokenness and hurt and wounds that have been done to you because of sin, 
and the, especially the ones that you've caused because of decisions you've made, actions you've taken, those dark parts of your life that you don't like to share, those things that happen when nobody's watching, we want to confess that. We want to take this same posture of the tax collector. God, I know me, and there's some dark parts of me that are broken and messed up. Have mercy on me, please. Now, as we do that, I'm going to give you just, here's an amazing, amazing truth for you and I as followers of Jesus from 1 John. Just hear it as we, before we confess our sin, hear it. It starts a little down, it starts kind of as a downer. Hey, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. It's a little bit downer, but look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful, and he is just, and he will forgive us our sins, and he will purify us from all of the unrighteousness where we find ourselves broken. So family of faith, would you join me? And we're going to posture ourselves down on our knees. And so just take this posture with me. I'm going to invite you off your chair. And we're just going to bow before our God for a moment. We just want to confess. And nobody, you're not going to confess out loud. You're just going to confess to our God the parts of us that are broken. And we'll stand and sing together here in a moment. But first, let's do this. Let's take this posture. Lord, we need you. And just so simply, I, I know that I'm a sinner and I know all the parts in me that run from you and all the parts in my life that I haven't yielded authority and control to you and I know in me all the things that are in me that have hurt people and wounded people. I know the pride that is in me. I'm a sinner. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on me. We thank you that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us. That this posture is the one that you said, that one goes home in the right. So right now we confess our sin to you. Amen. Let's confess together.